Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Bill Smith. Bill, welcome to the show. Dave, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and what ministry projects that you're working on? Sure. Um, I'm basically a Northeast Seaboard kind of guy. I was born and raised in southern New Jersey, spent most of my life uh, in and around Philadelphia. Uh, I grew up in a church, but it was... Uh, probably more of an experience of fear uh, of hell than actually a love for God. And it wasn't really till college that, that something about the Lord really gripped me. It felt like I sort of moved from being an, a spectator looking in through the window to actually being invited into the party. And it's just a, a wonderful um, kindness of God to, to move me that much closer to himself. That sort of sensed a, a call to ministry while I was at college. Uh, and then there's just this long meandering path um, afterward of working in the inner city in Philadelphia, of counseling, of uh, becoming a seminary professor for a little while. I've, I've worked in a church setting, have helped establish a counseling center, uh, and currently looking for a senior pastor position. Uh, Sally and I got married when we were in Philadelphia. We've been married now for just over 27 years. We have three children. Our youngest is a junior in high school, and all three of them are sort of in that launch phase of life where they're taking on more responsibility for themselves. If you look back over the course of the uh, last several decades of ministry, I think what really captures it for me is, is I'm, I'm just blown away by God's grace. I'm blown away by an experience of a God who longs to be with his people and connect with them and will do literally whatever it takes to make sure that they are with him both now and forever. And and that sort of captures all of my different projects. I have a couple varied interests at this point that I'm thinking about for next writing things. I've had some blog articles I've been asked to do. Those have been fun, uh, sort of a little bit more in and out. Can you be real practical in a short amount of time? But the, the longer projects that I'm considering, um, one is, is just a practical short book on uh, discerning God's will. Uh, something a little more, more robust than read the Bible and pray, but something that is really still very much sourced in uh, God's grace and, 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 and the gospel. The other one that a friend has sort of been pushing at uh, me to, to pursue this, and, and it, we're actually going to talk about it later on this afternoon, is something about uh, how, how do we go about living generously uh, and loving it? It just sort of that, that opposite of the, if I can say it this way, um, prosperity gospel, where the goal is how much can I get? Instead, can, since, since I've been rescued by this God who loves to give himself away, is there a way that my own heart can start to uh, embrace that more and see the goodness for what, for what it is? Hmm. That sounds really good, and, and both are definitely needed, for sure. There's a lot of not understanding of, of those types of topics, I think, so I, I think that those would be really helpful if you end up, you know, pursuing writing those, of course. So, Well, can you uh, tell us about your book, Assurance, Resting in God's Salvation, why you wrote it, and how is it being received so far? Yeah, this is a, it's, it's a short book. Um, it's a daily devotional for a one-month daily devotional. Uh, I was approached by the series editor and asked if I would write on one of the several different topics. I looked over the list, and initially the, the topic assurance didn't really grab me. Um, but then as I sort of thought 
thought about it for a couple of days, I, I started to realize, you know, this is actually an existential problem that we all have. I know you can approach it purely as an intellectual exercise. How can I know that God has saved me? But it's an existential one, I think, for many of us where we can all confess. I know God loves people in general, but, but, but I, when, when the rubber hits the road, I'm, I'm not really sure that he loves me in particular. Mm-hmm. And so I started to tease out the, the underlying, why, why is that? Uh, and I think in, in talking to people, uh, in thinking through my own life, I think it comes down to a couple different basic issues of we, we live in a world that's broken, we suffer, God's gifts are not spread out equally, uh, and so sometimes people who are not uh, as interested in him look like they're doing better than we are, and we start to wonder, well, how, how, how can he actually love me if they're doing better than I am, or I, I'm experiencing this kind of suffering, so I'm not really sure that God loves me, or we sin, and we think the opposite direction. If I love God, why do I keep doing these things? And you start to realize that um, for many of us, the, the whole question of does God love me as a particular unique individual is something that all of us cycle in and out of at various times through our lives. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um I, I, I do think that this, uh, you do touch on something that is uh, really important. I, I have people all the time tell me, you know, God doesn't love me. And you, you tell them about the gospel and how God, uh, you know, came to rescue sinners and how they can be rescued or, or if they are rescued, you know, that they're they're loved by, by God and, you know, they can have assurance of their salvation. And, and this is just such a such an issue, I think, among Christians. And I'm, I'm told by most of my past friends. This is one of the number one issues that they deal with. So I, I think that more writing on this topic is definitely needed, not less. So I, I think that you're onto something there. That, that's really affirming to hear. And, and the early uh, feedback that I've gotten is that uh, those are where people really live. And it, it's that strangeness where, you know, I can believe that God loves my neighbor down the street and, and, want, and, and wants to rescue them and pull them into eternity with him. And yet, because I know me better, and I know my failings better, and I know what I'm going through better. Uh, I'm, I'm not as convinced uh, of that reality for me on a day-to-day level sometimes as I am convinced of it for my neighbor. Yeah, that's I'm right there with you. You know, I've been a Christian for 33 years now, and I, I still have the same thing. Uh, sometimes, you know, when various trials and difficulties come, I mean, <laughs> who doesn't? Who among us doesn't? You know, we uh, we we need. That's why we have God's word to tell us the the truth about our our real condition and our real state before God. So yeah, which is absolutely essential. Yeah. In in what way is growing in assurance not simply a matter of getting more information, but a matter of trusting the character of the one who is communicating information to you? Dave, I think that's a really important distinction. Um, Let's just say something that's probably uh, you and I and and a number of your listeners are familiar with. We we can know something like the the passage out of Romans uh, 8.28, that God works all things for good. But if we don't, so so we we can all assent to the truth proposition there. But if when we start to actually suffer, if if we're downsized or if we're in a car accident or if uh, the washing machine leaks or, or the children rebel, if we don't respond with joy, mm. we're, saying, we're, we're saying that, yes, we know the truth proposition, we don't really believe it. Mm. And, and you know, on, on a functional level, we don't believe it. And the only reason that you can actually believe something like that in the face of things not going well in your world is if you trust the one who's telling you that that's actually true, mm. that even in the middle of the 
washing machine leaking and being downsized and all the rest of that, that there is this God who's at work behind that. And I think the only way to actually get that kind of confidence is to see the way that God interacts with people in real time. I think that's what you see in the scripture. It's not just a loose collection of truth propositions, but it's a revelation of how God engages people. And as you watch him engage people who suffer, who struggle, who sin, you start to see someone that you think, you know what, I, I, could, I could trust him. I, I, could, I, I could like him. Uh, and the more that I trust him, the more that I'm willing to actually believe what he says. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I'm reminded of, huh, um, of, of one of my mentors in ministry telling me, Dave, you don't have a knowledge problem, you have an application problem. And, and what he means is, you, you know, you, you believe all the right things. Um, and, but what happens when the washer goes down or, you know, you're, you're about to go up there and yeah. preach and you're, you're anxious and anxiety. What, what, what are you doing in those, in those moments? And, and you're exactly right. You know, we can, we can say that all the right things, um, you know, because we believe them, but are, are, are we actually yeah. like James talks about, we're, we're not to be hearers only, but doers of the word and i mean that's that's a lifetime of growth and in grace right there but i think it also comes as we're studied in our heart and mind by the you know the sovereign care of god and and understand that he is our rock and our refuge and a a very present help in time of need is you know the psalms and specifically psalm 40 through 42 talk about and i i I just go back to that and just think about that and that helps me um and you know the the washing machine which my washing machine needs to be fixed so that's like that's a perfect (laughs) thing right there you know i'm like oh crap I've got to pay for the the guy to come out and look at it. I've got to I've got to have the guy uh, the labor the the part. I'm just like oh my gosh. And then you know all these things and and you know how am I how am I handling that? Well, I've got to take that to the Lord and, and trust that He'll provide as He always does until uh, He'll He'll help us and we won't get robbed highway highway robbery by the by the person that's going to fix it and you know use my brain and. I'm talking over top of you. What I was going to say is, or if you do get ripped off by by the repairman, that doesn't change God's character. It doesn't change his heart for you. Mm. Uh, It doesn't change his involvement in your life. And I I love the way that you went back to the scriptures. God is very present help in time of trouble. You realize that that's actually an invitation. It's an invitation to someone who is in trouble. Um, But it's God saying, there are going to be times when you're in trouble, and I recognize that. And I want you to remember, because it's going to drift out of your mind, that I am there, and I am a very present help. And those kinds of things, I think that we start to, if we can look, I almost want to say, underneath of the, 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 the principle that's there, what do we see? We see an invitation to engage with our God. And when you have an invitation, you have a recognition that he, he gets it. He gets how hard it is to live a life of faith. And when I see that from him, it emboldens me to actually pursue him a little bit more. Mm, well said, well said. How do we deal with the enemies of our soul that are not only relentless, as you say, but dishonest and play both sides of sin against us as Christians? unpack that a little bit. Part, part of what I was trying to say uh, in that one day, um, uh, I think it's like the second day, um, we live in a, a world full of sin where evil constantly tempts us and bombards us and, and provokes us and says, this way of living, even though it re- <clears throat> will rebel against God, this is going to satisfy your soul. And, and there's just this incessant um, void from evil. And, and as soon as, it, it not just sort of toward, toward the edge of a cliff, and as soon as we go, you know what, that's right, and we dive over the cliff, suddenly it does this about face and, and it starts to uh, condemn us and, and, and to call out all of our guilt. And, and as much as it was tempting us to sin, now it's condemning us for having sin. Hmm. How do you deal with that reality that all of us live with every single day? I think two things. I think 
number one, you just need to recognize the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, to become aware that this, that there is this game that uh, the, the spiritual forces of wickedness are, are trying to run, and that if the, the voice that was tempting you to sin was not helpful, the voice that condemns you will not be helpful either. What does that mean? It means you need to get up out of your own head and out of your own experience, and this is the second part, and run to God for cleansing and for and for forgiveness. And here I, I, I'm meditating a little bit on Psalm 51, where David says, my sin is always before me. It, it, it's that experience of now that I've given in, I can't see anything but what I've done wrong. And yet that isn't where he stops. Instead, he pursues the Lord to be cleansed with confidence that he can have the joy of his salvation restored to him. In other words, if your own heart and mind is what got you into trouble, your heart and mind's not going to get you out of trouble. You need to pursue the Lord. Yeah, I, I, I love what you said when you were talking about Psalm 51 because it's so true. You know, if, if we would um, under, understand, you know, the, the background of that even. You know, David has been confronted by Nathan and, and there's Psalm, uh, not only Psalm 51, but Psalm 32 as well. And, and uh, understand that, that David is confessing his sin specifically and after he's been confronted. And, and uh, that that's that's important because, you know, he, what he did was egregious. Yeah. And uh, we, we have committed no, le- uh, there's no level of sin. There's no, this sin is better or worse than, 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 uh, than another. It's all of our sin is, as R.C. Sproul once said, cosmic treason against God. All of it. There's no level of, of sin. There's no qualifier. Well, you did that sin. So that's, that's the worst sin. It's, it's all sin is, is, uh, is deserving of, of death and, and condemns us, but, but for Christ. And, and so we, we need Christ. And I think a lot of people just stay in that place. Well, well, I'm just, uh, I'm just condemned. I'm, I, so I'm going to kick my own butt and I'm going to believe those those lies and I think a lot of a lot of Christians as I mentioned earlier are stuck in that place where they, they can't believe the truth about who they really are because they're still believing the you know the on the other side pre-conversion of, of um, you know they're still dead in their trespasses and sins and so they still believe the the lies that Satan um, tells them and Instead of living in the freedom and the hope that they have, and um, we gotta, we gotta just keep telling them the truth about who who they are in Christ. Yeah. How should biblical counselors deal with challenging issues related to assurance? Maybe several different responses on this one. Um, I, I, I think that the first, the first response really does have to do with our posture and our attitude. Um, not being surprised that people are struggling with assurance. Um, respond with compassion, respond with understanding. In some way, set a context where we can have an honest discussion about the, the false faith that we all have that God's not going to come through for us. And it, it doesn't mean that it's okay. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're going to stay here. But if people don't have the opportunity, the freedom to actually talk about what they're struggling with, uh, it, it won't allow the, the, the truth of the gospel to actually land. I, 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 I remember um, floating one of these thoughts out on, on a social media feed uh, that I have. And, and basically, the, the question I was asking is, how do we deal with the, the reality when people say, why isn't God answering my prayers? And one of the quick, fast responses was, God always answers my prayers. And, and, and I thought, yes, that's the right answer. We all know that's the right answer. But when you say it in that kind of way, you're shutting down people who are saying, but it kind of feels like he doesn't. It kind of feels like he says no to me. And I don't understand why he says no to me. Mm. So I think, number one, if we give people the, the freedom, the invitation to express their doubts, that's that's huge. I think, secondly, how, how do biblical, how should biblical counselors deal with this? Don't look for a silver bullet. In other words, don't look for 
the one right magic answer that's going to solve someone's uh, questions. Instead, recognize there's a whole variety of ways of coming at this. Uh, that's actually one of the things that I liked about the book, was it was an opportunity to explore 31 different avenues of how do you address the same question, and, and how are all of those avenues different. And sometimes I think, yes, there is one right answer. Other times, God comes at things from a multiplicity of angles, and it's the sum total of that multiplicity that then starts to have a real uh, weightiness. So don't look for one silver bullet. Look for Get, get versed in answering the, the question from a variety of standpoints. Maybe a third thought, you always want to end up with a greater focus on God's activities than on our own. Mm. So you don't want to say to somebody who's struggling, uh, who, who says, you know, I, I just... I'm just not sure that God loves me enough. If you come back and say, well, you just need to believe more, you basically put all of the weight back on them to solve their own issue. But they're telling you that's the problem. <laughs> they don't believe enough. I want to come back with a much greater weight on, well, here's what God has done. Here's what God is doing. Here's how God has addressed that. Here's how God invites you to come to it. And, and if we really believe that God is sovereign over all this world, that he birthed his people, calls them to himself, well, let's talk about it in those kind of ways. It's okay to start with our own human-based question, but let's make sure the answer really ends up more with who he is and what he's done. And then maybe the fourth thought would be, there are some basic questions that you probably ought to have a pretty decent answer to, like, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Or, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. Or, I just don't feel like, uh, he, I, I don't feel his love the way that, that, he used, that I used to. You know, it, it doesn't hurt to have some relatively solid, quick responses to, to some of the basic questions. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, as a biblical counselor, how do you help people with issues related to assurance, like struggling with guilt, shame, and condemnation? So maybe if I if, if I interact with that question just a, a, a bit, in some sense, I think what you're asking is um, from, from from a person's perspective. I don't really like me. I don't like what I've done. I don't like what others have done to me. Guilt, shame, condemnation. I don't like me. So how could God? Um, yeah. And I think what I think what you want to do then is you want to go back and say, who is God? And and one of the themes that I have found personally helpful in my own life, well, I've used this with, with other people as well, is the theme in Scripture that God sees people with compassion. And, and both of those are true at the same time. He, he really does see who people are, but he sees them with compassion. He doesn't see with condemnation. Uh, the world is already condemned. It's already standing under his judgment. And he sees people with a desire to, to rescue. Uh, so, like, uh, if, if you just do a basic search for God's theme with some form of compassion, sympathy, etc., you start coming up with all these instances. And I think it's very helpful to, to walk somebody through a number of those instances. Here's how God sees Hagar in Genesis 16, and he sees her with compassion, and his compassion moves him to her. Or Exodus 3, how he sees the Israelites with compassion, tells Moses, that compassion is moving me to, to do something. Or Matthew 9, where Jesus sees the crowds harassed and helpless, and he is moved inside to do something. Or you look at uh, the parables of Jesus, the Good Samaritan, where again, there is seen with compassion or the prodigal son. And the, again, just sort of the multiplicity of all of those kinds of things comes back and says to someone, this is who God is. He sees you and he sees you with compassion. And part of where we need to hang out for a while is how will we learn both of us, you and me, to believe that a little bit more. Mm, that's really well said. <laughs> really well said. Uh, how do uh, the biblical passage on, on doubt help strengthen Christians to give them not less confidence in him, but more confidence in him? Yeah, the, the, the scripture actually talks about issues of doubt. 
Uh, and, and I find that very encouraging because obviously what does that mean? It means that God has anticipated that his people are going to have this struggle. It's not confusing to him. Um, so in Mark 9, when the father of the demon-possessed son says, I do believe, help my unbelief. What What is God telling you by preserving that in Scripture? He's really okay to interact with you based on issues of doubt. Or, or Thomas, um, I will not believe unless I stick my hand in, into the, the holes in his hands and my, my hand into his side. And Jesus comes to him doesn't berate him, doesn't say, I told you I was going to come. He doesn't do any of that. He says, take your hand here. See and believe. And and, and just the, the wonder of a God who gets that after everything he's done, after everything he said, we still struggle. Um, I find that very, very encouraging to my heart. Or like Jude 22, where Jude admonishes, be gentle with those who doubt. I think, oh man, that, that's the Father's heart. He is gentle with those who doubt. We have absolutely no reason to doubt him. He's given us plenty of reasons to believe that he loves us, and yet his heart is still gentle with those who doubt. And I think, this is God who can actually handle me <laughs> in, in, in my weaknesses and in, in my moments. Mm, that's really well said. I really appreciated that that uh, that that part of the the book as well I, I thought that that was just so it's just really really profound because i think that a lot of people just think well you know if i doubt god doesn't care he doesn't care about our questions he's not he's not um concerned for me but as you just articulated well he's he's actually very interested in in our in our questions and our doubts he he gives us room to to ask those questions to to know him and and to to grow in his grace so i really i really appreciate that yeah my own heart, um, and, and then to start to realize, okay, where, where do I experience these personal wrestlings with whether or not I'm saved? I experience them in real time in the, the 21st century. God wrote this, some of these things down two and 3,000 years ago. <laughs> he, he has been anticipating my need, the rest of his children's needs, for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And as I start to think about that, I start to think, that's one of those indicators that says to me, I can trust him even with this thing inside of me that I find kind of shameful, um, but realize that his desire is to grow me past it and to grow me through it. Mm, Amen. What are some markers Christians can look for to see growth and sanctification in themselves and in others? Uh, Again, I think that the question here is um, that that we want to ask ourselves basically is, am I growing in godliness? And here, you're not trying to prove that you are justified because you can see some sanctification in your life, but you are recognizing that when the Spirit of God enters into a person and transforms them, they start to grow. Uh, just like physical babies grow, the we spiritual babies and spiritual children also grow. And so it's valid to ask, well, where are you growing? Um, because only someone who is truly saved actually can grow. And the flip side of that is true, too. Someone who is saved will grow because it's inevitable. And so the two things that I want to look for are, is there any indication whatsoever of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Okay, I'm not asking here an amount question. I'm simply asking, is there any patience in my life ever? Is, is there any endurance when suffering? Is there any joy, um, even when life is not going well? If there's any indication of that at all, what is that? That's that's not a fruit of my flesh. It's not a fruit of my sinful nature. It's not because I'm such a wonderful person. It's because that's an indicator that the Spirit of God is at work. So number one, is there any fruit of the Spirit? Number two, am I seeing some progress in the fruit of the Spirit? Am I more patient now than I was five years ago, ten years ago? Have I the ability to endure further than I used to? Is there greater joy? In other words, look for look for look for 
evidence of growth. And here again, I think you want to become aware of the devil's schemes uh, because I think what this, the spirits of wickedness will often will do is they'll point you to someone else across the church or in your neighborhood and say, do you see someone so there? Look, they are so much better than you are. Mm. Well, okay, they probably are. <laughs> but that's not the deciding point of whether or that, 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 that's not the measuring stick of whether or not God has called you to himself. The measuring stick here, the evidence is, are you more than what you were? Have, have you seen uh, growth inside? If you have, great. Be thankful for that. Praise the Lord and ask him for more. Yeah, I, I, I love that answer. Um, I, I The reason I asked the question is, is um, you know, J.C. Ryle in his, his book on, classic book on holiness, which is just fantastic. He said that um, if if and I'm Dave's paraphrase here, of course, uh, necessary qualifier there. You know, if if there's even a, a slight sliver of of growth and grace, you know, we can um, we can have assurance, and I think that that's really really helpful because and I, and I appreciate how you said it. Uh, the there's no quantity or or to it. it. It's not a quantity or a question. It's it's is there is there any is there any amount even the tiniest sliver as J C Ryle said. If so, then we should give thanks to God. You know, because um, I think a lot of people say well there's not there's not anything in my life that um there's there's no there's no fruit or, or anything in my life and when you start talking to them and, and and you know of course are they christian and and are they born again do they understand what that means those types of questions if they do then um you know help them to to ask them more questions as you talked about earlier and um find out more dig in you know don't just see that as a one there's there's not a one size fits fit all um kind of situation you know every every case is i think what you said earlier every case is different every person is different every person has a different story and you know we have to have to understand that and and be able to give solid biblical answers of course to to them as as you've also said and i've said but um see that uh, individual case that individual uh, as as an opportunity before you to to minister to them and so we could probably talk about that for a long time probably could. I, I think that's, that's, that's really well said. And I think the other thing that you're bringing in there is uh, the difference between a hard-hearted person who really has not experienced um, the grace of God and someone who's got a softer, uh, more easily bruised conscience. And I think that, that, that that's that hard place where, where biblical wisdom is really required to, to ask the question, who is it that I'm actually engaging with? Um, is this somebody who needs to be convicted of, no, you're right, there really isn't anything here that's praiseworthy? Or is this someone who, no, come on, seriously? I... I I've seen this, 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 and this in your life. Where did that come from? Is, is that really? Do you really want to argue that that's the product of uh, your sinful nature that hates God? And and when 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 you're working with somebody who really does love the Lord, that there's often that little sort of smile that comes, and they're like, "Yeah, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it?" No. <laughs> yeah. So let's give the Lord credit for what the Lord has done in you. Mm. Amen. Why is it so important to take the long view on our sanctification? Uh, view on most everything <laughs> in our life with the Lord. Um, the goal of salvation is what? It is to be with Him now and literally forever, for eternity. So what's overall, I, I want to know where the trend is, not necessarily uh, just what happens moment by moment. Or you, you think about uh, just a whole lot of different people in Scripture, you realize that almost every person you can name uh, who's one of God's people has had serious failings after coming to faith. So Abraham believes God, and then he lies about his wife, at least twice, twice that we're told of. Moses, 
you can make that case. He certainly knows the Lord when he strikes the rock in anger. Uh, David, we've already talked about, commits murder and adultery. Peter denies knowing Jesus. And you, start, you go down the line and think, where's the, where's the hope if you just isolate a momentary fail? That the, you, can, you can only recover from any of those moments if you keep in mind that God promises, this Philippians 1, 6, God promises to finish what he starts in you, that he will bring that to completion uh, until the day of Christ. Or, or recognizing that having birthed us, given us new life, God obligates himself to parent us to himself. And I think it's just really essential then that we keep that longer view, uh, again, depending on what God is up to and, and his ability to carry it out, then we misfire by overly focusing on any one of those uh, moments where we are not living uh, up to what we, we know in our faith. Mm, that's really well said. How should Christians handle their failings to keep in step with Christ? That's well said. Keeping short accounts with God is absolutely critical. You know, um, I think it was Calvin who, uh, or, or maybe it was Calvin or somebody else, but I can't remember. I can't ever remember, and I keep bringing it up on these podcasts. But it's it's made a it's made an impression. On, it made an impression on me. Um, just uh, the idea of before you go to bed, maybe just thinking about what did you learn that day, what happened, you know, how did you sin, those types of things, and doing just exactly what you said to to uh, to repent, to confess sin to trust in the once again in the righteousness of, of Christ alone to cleanse you and purify you and um, I've noticed that my pe- my sleep is is since I've been doing this probably a couple years it's, it's improved dramatically I feel better when I wake up um, of course I do this when I wake up as well and just it, it just helps to helps my helps my heart and my mind um, get in the place where it needs to be to you know, uh, editing is, is challenging work and being in that, being in a better frame of mind is, is really important to, to give that person. I'm making sure I'm understanding them, making sure I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, making sure that I'll ask clarifying questions, even like in these interviews, etc., and so on. It's just, um, just a practical example there. Uh, I'm sure the application could extend, you know, when you're going in a hospital visit and you're dealing with somebody that's, that's really hurting and going through, they've just got some bad news. You, you, you gotta be patient, you know, 
that that's not the time to be irritated at that person um, or mm-hmm. you're in the counseling office and you're you're dealing with somebody that's really challenging and angry and irritated that's the time to be praying and asking God to, to help you to, to see that person through Christ-like lens and to, to help you be compassionate and loving and firm and I mean on and on we could go of course yeah, that's really good. how does uh, how does focusing on the love of God in Christ alone help Christians to remember all that Christ has done for them? really well said well bill uh just as we wrap up this conversation and it's been a really fun conversation um do you have uh, any takeaways uh, for our listeners if i were to bring everything to a head uh it, it, it probably comes really close to what i said to a, a young lady one time i looked at her i smiled and i said you know what if you have more confidence in your ability to ruin your life than you have in god's ability to rescue it mm-hmm. and i think for that's true for most of us we have much greater confidence in our ability to sin much greater confidence in our ability to step out of line than we have in god's ability to redeem so what would be the two takeaways number one um look in the scripture for how god reacts to struggling people so that you have greater confidence in him and then secondly look for evidence of the holy spirit in your own life and and, and when you see that evidence that reflects who god is and how much he loves you let that encourage you and at the same time let that spur you on to want more i think those two things seeing god's heart for struggling people in the scriptures seeing the active work of the spirit in your own life those two things i think will continue to give you much greater confidence that he is alive and at work in you 
Well, that's that's really wonderful, and, and thank you for that. Well, Bill, I, I really appreciate um, the time that you've given to me and, and to our listeners today. It's been a really fun conversation talking about these things, and I trust that our listeners will be helped by it. And also encourage you to pick up this excellent uh, work in the 31-Day Devotional Series. It's uh, The book is called Assurance Resting in God's Salvation, and it's very helpful. So thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.